Some of, how many of you would take up some kind of extreme sport, like wingsuit flying or something, you know? Oh, yeah. Okay. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you would consider, like, thought of imagining yourself then as some kind of, like, superhero? You know, you're like Superman. You're going out, you could beat up uh, bad people, and, and it won't affect you. You won't feel any pain. It's kind of like you need to watch Avengers, and they're always fighting. You know, the Hulk gets all thrown through buildings, and yet he just gets right back up. Anybody, anyone imagine that? No. Yes? That's what I would, that's kind of what I would have thought of um, if someone asked me that question. But here's the thing, and, and uh, uh, Daniel, right? Yeah, Daniel kind of picked up on me. He asked a question, um, clarifying question, would I still die? <laughs> okay? And, and he did pick up on the fact that I said that you imagine what it would be like if you were immune from pain. I did not say that you would be immune from getting hurt, that your body was, I didn't say that your body was indestructible, just that you wouldn't feel the pain. Okay? Now that probably changes your perspective on things and maybe your vision of being a superhero or, or taking up wingsuit flying or something like that. Um, because so that means that if you, for example, cut your finger or broke your bone or had some other injury, um, your body would still be hurt. It's just that you wouldn't feel that, that injury. Now, would that then be a blessing or perhaps would that be a curse instead? Um, we, my daughter, I have a daughter who's, uh, her name's Maddie. She's like five years old. Um, and she had... Uh, a congenital heart thing that uh, required some surgery. She had some heart surgery when she was six months old. Um, and then it went well, but one of the, the things that it, after, uh, in order to you know, keep her, her heart from uh, healthy and stuff, is that she has to be on a regimen of baby aspirin every day. Um, so, so, so she takes baby aspirin, and one of the side effects of that is um, you know, baby aspirin is an anticoagulant. It doesn't, it makes you bleed a lot easier. So she often bruises um, easily. Um, if she gets cut, it bleeds a lot. Um, and sometimes it seems like it's kind of, she has a little bit less of a sensitivity to pain than, than, than others. And we've realized that one time when she was like around a year and a half years uh, old, uh, she opened our pantry and dropped like a, a can of so if you know what it is, it's like a, a little can, steel can. And it dropped on her toe and it cut it open. And, and then she, and we didn't even know that, notice it. And she didn't really notice it. We found out when I saw these little red, you know, splotches down the hall, going down the hall. And I followed it and there she was and she had a, you know, cut open toe. But she wasn't crying, she wasn't doing anything. Um, and I actually took a picture but decided not to show it just because it's, <laughs> I know, you know. <laughs> um, you ask me later, I'll post it some on Facebook. <laughs> okay. Okay. And so, now that's, I mean, that's a really minor example. Um, Dr. Paul Brand, and this is one of the books he wrote together with Philip Yancey. Um, he has some other books. He's an amazing doctor. He spent decades as a, working in the doctor in the medical mission and field. Um, a lot of breakthrough research that he's done. And he describes in this book, the book is called The Gift of Pain. And he starts it by telling the story of a little girl, he meant a four-year-old girl named Tanya. Okay? 
And Tanya has this very rare genetic disorder um, that in effect makes her indifferent to pain. She does not feel pain in her body, okay? Um, and, and she describes how her parents realized this, you know, I had my little story, but her parents found her one day when she was a toddler um, in her crib, and she was just, you know, painting, you know, on the walls of her, her, her crib, and it was like in red. And they're like, where'd you get the marker? And they realized that she had bitten the tip of her finger off and was drawing in her own blood in the thing. But because she didn't feel anything, she didn't realize there was anything wrong with that. Um, and, and it was a nightmare for her parents, um, trying to keep her safe because she would injure herself and she would just keep running as if nothing was wrong. You know, you, know, you get you know, little kids, well, adults too, you get a little splinter and you're like, ow, ow, I can't do anything. You have to sit down and ice it and everything, okay? But she would get like cuts and she would just keep running along and, and leading to infection. They'd put bandages on her. She'd just tear it off because she's like, I don't want this. It's just slowing me down. Um, and years later, you know, she would continue to bite her fingers, you know, and, and every time her parents would try to get her to stop, she just wouldn't care. She would, like, even, like, pretend to bite her finger, and, and whatever her parents were trying to get her to do or to stop doing, you know, they would immediately just shut up because it's like, I mean, that, what, that's like, you're holding, you're using your own body as a hostage against your parents. That's, um, years later, um, Dr. Brown, you know, uh, encountered her again, her, her mother again, um, when she was about 11 years old, and at that time she has, was living miserably in an institution. Um, her parents just simply could not watch her, keep her safe. Both her legs had been amputated because of all the infections from the injuries and the sepsis and, um, and all of that stuff. Most of, she had lost most of her fingers, she was constantly getting her elbows and joints dislocated. Um, she uh, her tongue was lacerated from constantly chewing on her own tongue all the time. And, and Dr. Brand described her as a human metaphor of a life without pain. And, and this idea then that, that, you know, being without pain, living immune from pain, may at first seem like, oh, it's a good thing. I mean, who likes pain, experiencing pain? Um, but when you take it to the extreme, when you realize what it truly means, if you don't feel pain, even if you wanted to, um, a life, it would be something like what the life that Tanya had. And it was definitely not a blessing for her. The analogy that I would like us to consider today as we go back to scripture is that a life without the ability to feel pain is like a life without the Holy Spirit. Um, in this passage that, we, um, that I, we were looking at here in John, Jesus is describing how he is about to leave um, his disciples. He's about to leave uh, in bodily form from his disciples. And his disciples are, of course, sad, sorry. You know, they feel sorrow um, at his departure. Um, but Jesus states that it is to his disciples' advantage that he goes away. Because Jesus in the flesh... You know, he can only be in one place at any one time in his bodily form, okay? But he says, as he states in this passage, that when he leaves, he will send his spirit, um, 
uh, often translated also as helper or as advocate or as comforter. Um, and when his spirit comes, then the spirit, his presence, can be with all disciples anywhere at any time. Okay, he's not limited to the physical uh, presence um, here on earth. And so he says that it is to the benefit of the church that he will be departing from them in his bodily form. And then he goes, says in verse, um, uh, verse 8, that when the Spirit comes, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Um, the NIV uh, translation uses, translates that word convict as prove the world to be in the wrong, okay? Um, and that word has, um, in the Greek, has almost like, a, it's almost like a law term, okay? It has a connotation of a judge that is, um, you know, summing up all the evidence in a case and laying out the clear case against um, the, the person who stands accused, or the person who is on trial. And so the idea here is that the Spirit isn't just telling the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. It is there to convince the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? It is to convince or convict the world, to prove to the world um, about that. And, you know, it's, and as many may know in our personal lives, sometimes pain can be one of the greatest convincers. Um, for us, for action, or to change, or to motivate. Um, oftentimes, you know, there are some of us that, um, you know, myself included, that don't like going to the doctors unless, like, unless something's really bad. <laughs> okay, unless something's really, really hurting. Um, I, I feel like I have like a pretty high tolerance for pain, um, but, you know. Pain really is important in getting us to convincing us uh, to change something that we're doing. My kids, I have also have an older son named Ethan, who's um, he's about to turn eight now. Okay, and he and his sister are very rambunctious with each other, and and we can be telling him, you know, I can yell at them all day to stop playing, to not play in the kitchen, you know, when when you know mama's cooking or something, um, and and they won't listen, and they'll just keep doing whatever they're doing um, in the kitchen. But all it takes is one time for them to touch the hot stove and burn themselves, and then, oh, okay, I'm not going to play in the kitchen anymore, okay? doesn't matter what dad says, you know, and whatever threats or bribes or whatever that I tell them, um, but that little contact, that pain, changes their behavior like almost nothing else, okay? Um, and Dr. Brand, again, in his work, decades of work as a physician, um, especially his breakthrough work with patients um, with leprosy. Um, these are some of the, uh, the most avoided um, people in the different countries that he worked with. He spent years as a medical missionary in India working with, with people with leprosy. And he became one of the foremost experts on pain. And we usually think of doctors as being the people who help us get rid of pain. Okay, we go to them when we're in pain, and they make it okay, and they get rid of the pain. Okay? But in his work, his research led Dr. Brand to recognize the critical importance of pain in the human body. Um, you may have seen movies or 
you know, descriptions of people with leprosy. And, and almost all, you know, all the time they're portrayed with these you know, horrible disfigurements you know, to the bodies. They're missing limbs, they're missing like, their noses and their skins, everything. They just look all infected everywhere. And that's part of what makes them so, people so scared of them. You know, because there, there's the fear that this disease kind of is like rotting away your, your, your fingers and your toes and your, your, uh, the parts of your body. It makes your face fall off, okay? And, and that was the way that, you know, that people viewed leprosy for, for, for years. Um, but as a result of the work that um, Dr. Brand and his medical team did with the, the leprosy patients, they realized the break, breakthrough came when they realized that the disease of leprosy is not what causes those, those um, you know, the damage to the, the extremities, okay? Um, rather, what leprosy did was to destroy the nerves um, in the body, starting from the extremities, starting from the fingertips and joints, you know, the nose, toes, and so on. That the disease would kill or, or, and, and prevent those nerves from sending the signals to the brain that, there's, that, that they're in pain that there's something, they were feeling something, okay? And so as a person with leprosy began to lose the sense of pain and touch in those areas, they became susceptible to the injuries that would normally be prevented due to that sense of pain. Um, so for example, I mean, you know, when, if you touch something that's, that's hot, you know, your body has this great system where even before your brain registers it and you touch something that's really hot, you're, you're, you let go, okay? Just, just, just all the, the signal of the nerves goes to the spinal cord and all that great stuff if you've done studied anatomy um, and stuff. And, but if someone had leprosy or this disease that prevented them from feeling, they could grab a bo boiling hot pot and they wouldn't feel it. But their skin, of course, would be burned, would be burning even as they're holding on to it, okay? And so Dr. Brand's work with his medical team, one of the things that they did, the most important things was not the disease of leprosy isn't something that can be cured, but what they were doing to help these people was to treat, tell them, to teach them how to recognize dangerous things because they no longer had a sensation of pain to serve as a warning. They had to look and observe things. They had to look and see at the pot, oh, it's steaming, it's, therefore it's hot, I shouldn't touch it, okay? Um, and they would teach the patients how to recognize things to avoid uh, doing. Um, because they didn't have the sense of pain to do that for them naturally. Um, and yet, even with some of the work that they were doing, you know, in teaching, they had some of the patients who knew all these things, but they would, they, you know, one of the stories that he tells is that they would go to sleep, and the next morning they'd wake up and they'd be missing parts of their fingers. And, and they were trying to figure out what was going on, because they were asleep. Their fingers were fine the night before, and they, they woke up, their fingers were partially missing. And what they realized was that in the night, um, you know, while the person was sleeping, that rats would come and just start chewing on the ends of their fingers and start eating the ends of their fingers while they were sleeping, okay? Because they couldn't feel that, you know, they it wouldn't wake them up and, you know, so they can move around and, and shake the rats off. Um, in another s story that he describes that is, um, that's, you know, he s says as one of the ones that sticks with him the most and about this disease, um, there was a man who had, you know, again, had leprosy, who um, had 
dislocated his ankle, and so he was walking around on, on crutches. Okay? Uh, and that's another thing, you know, you, if you sprain your ankle, of course, then you're, you limp because you, don't, you feel pain when you put weight on your body, and that's your body telling you to, you know, to not stress that, that injured part of the body. Um, but as a leprosy patients, they don't feel that, so they can twist their ankle, and they'll just keep walking just like, you know, like normal causing, continuing to re-injure that part of their body. So this man was, you know, uh, there was some kind of like clinic inspection, so they're all supposed to go get in line, and he was upset that everyone else was passing by him because he was walking on crutches. So he decided to just abandon, throw the crutches away, and just started running because he wanted to get in line before everyone else. And, and Dr. Brown watched in horror as he ran to the head of the line in this kind of limping, you know, along. Um, and when he got in front of the line, the man was like, you know, really pleased with himself. He, saw was, uh, he was triumphant at having been able to not let his injury slow him down. Um, but he looked at his ankle and realized that the, 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 the leg, the foot had become so dislocated that it was completely on the side and that the man had actually been running not on his foot but on the leg bone itself. And he had no choice but to amputate his leg as a result of that that injury and the infection that was coming in. And so Dr. Brown recognized that the curse of leprosy was this complete indifference to pain, an indifference that eventually could lead to the body's own self-destruction. Pain is not the thing that is actually wrong. It is an indicator of that there is something wrong. And when we ignore or try to mask pain, we can do so at our own peril. Um, kind of like a pilot that's ignoring like a warning light that's flashing on his instrument panel or, or ignoring some strange smells or sounds that, that, that are around him. Our body was designed with pain to serve as a warning that something is wrong. Okay? And in the same way, God gives us the Holy Spirit to, to deliver sometimes the pain to serve as a warning indicator for our souls. The sense of guilt that we feel when we do something wrong, when we wrong someone, or when we know that we've wronged God directly, um, that is a good thing, okay? If we heed its warning, and if we stop and turn from doing the thing, the wrong thing that we had been doing to be reconciled with the one that we had wronged. Um, it's, we don't like guilt. I don't think any of us like feeling guilt in the same way that most of us don't like feeling pain, physical pain. Um, but it is an important thing. And, rather, and, and the important thing is that when we do feel that pain of guilt, that, 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 and, and some of us, you know, there have been times when I, um, you know, maybe some of you feel like when you've wronged someone, you know that you've done something wrong, that you can feel it almost like this, this weight on your heart or this crushing of your heart, almost like a physical pain um, keeps you up. I know there have been times when I've, um, you know, done something wrong with, uh, with my, to my wife and said some things that I, that I shouldn't have said that I can't sleep because of that physical anguish, you know, that this, this emotional pain becomes and turns into a physical pain um, that keeps me up. And it doesn't go away um, until I rec reconcile myself, you know, with my wife, okay? And unfortunately, there are ways it is possible to numb ourselves, 
to the Spirit's voice. Okay, it is in the same way that you can numb yourself to pain, to physical pain, um, we can numb ourselves to, uh, to the Holy Spirit. And that is the great tragedy. That is something that's, that's, um, that we need to, to avoid. Dr. Brand talks about how, uh, he expresses concern in his book about how our society um, abuses pain-relieving medications. You know, that, um, that you know, people are um, inclined to just take a painkiller for any kind of ache um, that they may feel, or ache or pain that they feel, while ignoring the underlying cause of the pain. Now, it's not wrong. Okay, so he doesn't say that it's wrong, and he says that he, he himself will take some kind of, you know, uh, aspirin or something if he has a headache. But what's important for him is that he says that he has to recognize, first, what is causing that pain in the first place. Okay, um, he writes, he makes a statement. First, listen to your pain. It is your own body talking to you. Pain is no invading enemy, but a loyal messenger dispatched by my own body to alert me to some danger. And so when he has a headache, instead of just before he takes that pain medication, he thinks about, well, what is it that I'm doing? Why am I feeling this, this headache? Have I been you know, staring at something for too long? You know, am I straining my eyes or something? You know, if he has like heartburn or something, you know, rather than just taking an acid and just moving on, um, he learns to recognize maybe I shouldn't have eaten that thing or maybe I shouldn't be overeating. Um, uh, when I need to. It is important to recognize what the pain is telling us um, before we actually go and, and try to treat it and relieve it. Uh, because otherwise, if we just keep just numbing ourselves to the pain, um, we can be masking something that is, that is the greater damage that is being caused to, to our bodies. Similarly, if we become indifferent or numb to the signals from the Holy Spirit, we sow the seeds of destruction of our own souls. And I've experienced what that is like. Um, I've gone through a period of time in my life where my soul was spiritually numb to the spirit. Um, that, and it became that way through um, just repeated sin where you just ignore, you know, you know that something is wrong, but you keep doing it, and eventually over time, kind of, you know, you become numb to that, that sensation. Um, and it was, it was not pleasant. Um, it's not like where you, um, you know, it's not like the sense of relief you feel, like when something is, you have some injury, um, and it's treated, and it becomes healed, and then you feel relief because it's all done. It's all good now. Um, this is a sense where that injury is still there. It's festering. It's becoming infected. Um, but I don't feel it anymore. And, and, and to recognize that, that that injury and that sin that's in, in my life is still festering, is still causing damage to my soul, um, even though I don't, you know, I've numbed myself so much to, so that I don't even feel it, that is a very scary place to be. Um, because then we've lost sight of that warning system. We've, we're totally ignoring that warning system that God has given us to bring us back to the right place. Okay? The Spirit, you know, in this, the, the passage, it talks about that the Spirit is convincing, is to convince 
but the Spirit is also there to comfort. That's why, you know, it's also translated as comforter there. Um, but we do not come for that comfort and healing if we are not first convinced that there is something wrong. And that is that greatest danger of being numb um, to the prompting, the message of the Holy Spirit, that we do not, can reach the point where we don't even recognize that there is something wrong anymore. We do not recognize that there is um, a cinder, that what we are doing is, is wrong. I'm going to make a statement that is um, very controversial, perhaps, in our culture today. And that statement is that some things are wrong. And it's kind of weird that that can be controversial. Um, but what I mean by this is, is that it's not that I think that there are some things that I personally think are wrong, or that I feel that they are wrong, or that I feel that people shouldn't do. Um, what I mean is that there are things that are absolutely wrong, regardless of how I or anyone else personally feels about it. And I think one of the scary things that I see in our culture um, is this sense that, that right or wrong is completely up to the person, that, it is a, that it's the person himself who determines what is right or wrong. Um, that um, so for example, like uh, in the same way that you can have people can have very different tolerances for pain, and there are things that we can do to mask physical pain, um, there are things that we as a society are doing to mask the spiritual pain, or the spiritual sorrow, their spiritual guilt um, that we should be feeling. Um, and this is where the Holy Spirit really does come in. Now, people may disagree about what is right and wrong, and, and people do. Even Christians are, there's lots of debates about lots of issues about what is, you know, supposed to be the absolutely right things or what are the things that are absolutely wrong. But that disagreement by itself doesn't mean that there aren't indeed things that are right or wrong. Okay, it just means that human beings being fallible or have, can't agree on those things. And that's where the Spirit comes in. Um, because that standard for right and wrong is not within ourselves. It should not, the, what determines whether something is right and wrong is not based on how this person feels or, um, or his own reasons or rationales or his own narrative. It is an external standard that comes from God um, and that is spoken to us through by the Holy Spirit. And, you know, while people are going to, to disagree and Christians are going to, in even among Christians, we're going to continue to disagree about a lot of um, these, these issues. Um, I think the important thing is that, that all Christians um, need to be humble and be able to recognize that it is not their own will or their own recognition of what's right and wrong that is at stake. If we can all be willing to, to listen more to what the Spirit is saying and, and recognize that, um, that it's not just within ourselves, that's, that we're not the determiners, um, then we, are, you know, we will be more able to live in accordance with the will of God um, if we're willing to submit to the Holy Spirit's conviction more than our own. Let me end here just with one last little story about, I guess, being sensitive to the Spirit or listening um, to the Spirit's prompting. Um, 
many, many years back. Uh, I was, I started serving, you know, this was after I, um, um, you know, moved on from the, 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 the church that, that Wilson was at. Um, I started serving as a youth pastor at a, uh, uh, at another church, Upland Taiwanese Presbyterian Church. And um, it was the first month that I started serving there, and I was asked to bring our youth to a, uh, it was a kind of a retreat for the leadership of the, of among the Presbyterian churches in this area. Um, and so, you know, because I just started at this church, I made a little decision, you know, with myself, with God to, to not talk to any of the girls that I would meet at the conference because, you know, I didn't want people to have the bad idea, a wrong idea of what I was doing at this, at this church, okay? Um, maybe you guys know, you know, retreats are great places to meet good Christian women, <laughs> right? But of course, I, so I said to myself, I'm not going to talk to any girls. I'm just going to focus on working with the youth and all that stuff. So the speaker was talking about uh, the book of Esther, the Esther story. Um, and he asked in the beginning of one of his um, uh, messages, you know, what is the relationship between Esther and Mordecai? And, you know, because I'm a pastor's kid, I went to Sunday school, and I, I, I of course, knew Mordecai was Esther's uncle, okay? Um, everyone knew that. And so I was, but before I was able to say it, I heard a voice behind me shout out, Esther and Mordecai are cousins. And, and, and it was, <laughs> and unfortunately, I, I laughed out loud at that um, <laughs> because I thought it was kind of, oh, that's kind of sad that, you know, it's a leadership, you know, you know conference with the leaders from all the different churches and someone doesn't know that very easy Sunday school answer. <laughs> um, now, I, I felt really bad about it, and this is where the Holy Spirit is, is moving here. It was the Holy Spirit is prompting you know, there's, I was starting to feel that anguish in my heart um, that I shouldn't have laughed at this person. Um, and, but then there was something more. Then it was like, no, the Spirit was like, no, it's not just that. And, I, and so I opened up the, the book of Esther, the book of Esther, and looked at it just to make sure about this answer. And I was completely shocked to find out that Esther and Mordecai are indeed cousins. <laughs> and, um, and so now there's like the sense, oh man, that's, that's really bad, <laughs> okay? And so, you know, because of the Holy Spirit's conviction, um, I said, okay, I gotta go up. I, I kind of knew who it was that had you know, made the statement that I had laughed at. Um, so I went up to her after at the end of the, the talk and, and, and said, you know, introduced myself and said, I'm, I'm sorry that I laughed at you. <laughs> and um, <laughs> turns out that she, I mean, she heard the laugh, someone laughing at her, but she didn't know who it was. <laughs> so I could have gotten away with it. <laughs> Um, but, you know, but, you know, I, so I apologized to her, and then, um, she said, yeah, just, it's weird to just go up to someone and just say you're sorry, <laughs> and then leave, so I had to talk to her, so we talked a little bit, um, got to know her a little bit, um, and uh, about a, a year and a half later, we were married. <laughs> so that was how, so I like to tell people that 
the first thing that I said to my wife was, I'm sorry. You know? <laughs> and, but it was because of that spirit's prompting of recognizing um, that there was something that was wrong. And I mean, it's kind of lighthearted in that sense, and comes from the lighthearted story with that. Um, but in a deeper sense, that awareness of what the spirit is doing, especially when there's something that's wrong, especially when you know that it is wrong, um, that sensitivity to what the Spirit's prompting is, is important. And that's something that I hope that we can pray um, and ask for you know, in our own daily walks. I'm going to end with this. I'm just going to read this last passage. I see the big zero there. Um, but let me just read the last passage in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 16 to 26. Um, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident in self, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And it's my hope, too, that that we will indeed live um, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we um, are thankful that, that you provided your Spirit, that you did not leave us alone here, um, but that you provided us with this guy, with this comforter um, and advocate for us. And Father, we confess that there are times when it is hard to to hear and to listen um, and to respond to, to what the Spirit tells us, um, especially when we're doing wrong and we're feeling that pain and the, the anguish and the, the suffering that comes as a result of our actions. But we pray, Father, that um, for myself and all my brothers and sisters here, that our hearts may be sensitive, that we will not numb ourselves to what your spirit is telling us, that instead we will be reconciled quickly um, before things get worse, before we continue on a path that leads to our own destruction, that leads to even greater damage to our soul, um, leads to greater separation from you. I ask that you um, make that voice, uh, your spirit, clear to us. Through your word, as we look into, continue to look in your word, um, that you're prompting you by your guiding of your spirit, that you'll lead us to truth, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Kevin.